You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. My name is Jim Lodge, and I serve on the worship team at NCC. I'm a part of uh, a community group, kind of the church away from church. The church family, you'd have to back the story up a little bit because I uh, probably spent the last 30 years with no family at all. And uh, for the last 10 or 12 years, I've been serving at different churches and I was looking for something that was authentic, something that I could um, grow with, some people that would stretch me. And I found NCC and I decided to dive in. And because I'm being stretched, um, that gets transported when I leave here and imported to other people's lives. The person behind me in line or you put me next to a stranger and I'll just start yapping away. So we start talking and it, the conversation always comes around to how are you spiritually? I am Jim Lutch and I have been made new in Christ. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for stories like Jim Lutch. Um, thankful that God has done something amazing in Jim. Hasn't really had family for 30 years, but as a part of the family here at NCC, and uh, I told Jim earlier this morning, I was like, I want to try to make it through this video without crying, because uh, there's just something special uh, about this church's relationship with Jim and Jim's relationship with this church. You see, Jim's been made new in Jesus, and I'm thankful to be able to call him my friend. You see, I believe we all have something to learn from each other, and we all have something here together as a part of God's family. We're in this series called Made New, and uh, in week one, Brandon laid out in Ephesians chapter one that we all have an identity in Jesus. We need to know who we are in Jesus. Last week, Alex shared with us that we are worshipers, right? And true worship is a result of experiencing the gospel. Today we're going to talk about family, and um, that we have a role in something bigger than ourselves, that we are a family member of God's family. But the word family is such a broad topic, so I want to thank Brandon for giving me such a broad topic on family, and, uh, but when you think about the word family, how do you really even sum it up? When you think of family, there's probably a lot of things that come to mind. There are probably specific people that come to your mind. Well, a simple Google search defines family as a group of two or more persons related by birth, marriage, or adoption who live together. Pretty simple, right? Webster's Dictionary says a group of persons who are connected by blood or affinity or through law within two or three generations, a group that consists of parents and children, a group of persons living together having shared commitment to a domestic relationship. All right, so we know that family is so much more complex than that. And I recognize that everyone here today brings in with them the experience that they have from their own, from their own family. 
There are certain dynamics that are a reality for you. And maybe none of these definitions resonated with you at all. And that's okay. You see, maybe you've never been a part of a family. You know, maybe even that word creates some pains and tensions within you. Maybe you say, Dave, I grew up and I didn't know my dad. I didn't know my mom. You know, I, I grew up not knowing my, my siblings or not having talked to my brothers or sisters. Maybe you're part of a family where there was divorce and remarriage and you've got stepbrothers and stepsisters. Maybe you're adopted and you were raised by people who chose you to be a part of their family. You see, I realize that family is complex. Whatever it is, I, I do believe that family means something different to each one of us. But I believe God tells us in his word what family is about. Well, this morning I want to introduce my family to you. Without talking about family, I, I want to be able to show you who my family is and, and point you to who my family is. So if you've been on social media, you've, you've seen these pictures of like how it started and how it's going. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that for you this morning. So how it started for the short family. Um, I am one of five children. All right, and uh, if you can spot which one is, is, is me, um, it looks like I have red hair there. It's just a bad scan of an old photo. Uh, yes, I really am that old. But I've got two older sisters. They're twins, Dana and Sherilyn. Um, I am right in the middle. I am David Jr. My dad is Dave. My mom is Mary. Uh, her maiden name was Christmas, Merry Christmas. I'm not joking about that. Merry Christmas, and she was born on New Year's Day. So... Um, I am, I am David Jr. and my brother Dan right there in the middle, uh, Daniel, he's got dark hair. We always, we always told him that my parents found him under a rock because he didn't look like the rest of us. And then my little brother Stephen, all right? So you look at this picture and it's like the perfect family photo, right? This was actually a family photo from one of our uh, church directories growing up, all right? So that's how it started for the short family and how it's going. I'll show that picture here. So not only am I one of five children, I've got five children myself. Uh, so this scriptural mandate of being fruitful and multiply and subduing the earth. Man, we, we, uh, yeah, we know how that happens, uh, but we definitely took that into consideration. Um, what I didn't tell you about the picture on the left, my, my sister Dana has eight children. Uh, Sherilyn has two. I have five. My brother Dan has five. And Stephen, the youngest, has three with one on the way. So my, my parents are grandparents of 23, almost 24 grandchildren, all under the age of 15. Um, and again, it's not a competition, but for some reason we think it is, whatever. But uh, <laughs> So how it's going. There's a picture of my family over here on the right, my wife, Kara. Um, we've been married 16 years. And um, my oldest, Leanne, right there in the middle, she is catching up to us in height. The joke with her growing up at school was, uh, her last name is short, but she's not short, right? So then, then we've got Elena right there in the yellow. We've got Whitney, which today is her birthday. She's right to the, the right of her. Uh, then Mallory, she is seven. And our little surprise guy from about 18 months ago, Nolan Ray Short. So that's our family. So it's easy to look at these pictures and say, wow, Dave, you've been blessed. You've got a perfect family. Not really. You see, because what these pictures don't really tell us, um, they don't tell us the full story, right? And, and what Alex talked about last week is there's sometimes that we put this image out about who we are, 
and it really doesn't tell the depths of what's going on. You see, I'm, uh, you know, I, I realize that everybody in here has mess going on in their life at some level. What the first picture doesn't show is the pain and dysfunction, the brokenness, the many years of loss, the divorces that would happen in this side of the family, the death, the drama, the years of infertility, of not being able to have children, the years of not talking to each other as siblings. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not excited to tell you. There's, there was, there's probably a year or two that I didn't even talk to, to, to my brothers. Um, there's been a lot of pain in my family. See, there's been grudges. There's been drama. And maybe for you, you realize that, that the same thing too. In your own family, there's, there's a certain dynamic that makes up who you are as a family. There's so many other things that embody who we really are as a family. And like I said, pictures don't tell the whole story. This morning, I want to talk to you about family. We talk about family quite a bit here at NCC. We say that we are family, and the church is a family together. But sometimes here at church, what's on the outside is not always the reality. See, I believe the way in which God's family is, is sometimes we have it skewed or distorted by what we've brought into this space. See, our experience of what we've, what we've gone through in our own families, we bring it here, and it skews or distorts the lens by which we see God's family. See, that's a real problem, because we don't see family rightly in the church. We inherit this baggage, we bring it in, and it shapes and informs how we see each other. But I believe God gives us our biological families on purpose. He gives us our experience, our upbringing, the broken relationships to shape how we intentionally see life and how we can come into this space and experience life together with each other. And that informs how we care and bear each other's burdens as a family. So what I want us to see this morning is that Jesus redeems the mess in our families and he gives us a place and a purpose in his family. This morning, I'm going to start by sharing a story about a family in God's word. And I'm going to do my best to summarize this story. Um, but again, I'm sometimes telling a story and leaving out details. There's a lot of details to this story. Uh, but this, this family kind of helps us get the picture, and it sets the foundation for the mess that we understand sometimes as our own family. So there's a story in the Old Testament about a woman named Naomi. All right? Her husband is Elimelech, and they live in a place called Bethlehem. They have two sons, and the times were pretty hard for them. And it was challenging to find food due to the famine. They decide to relocate their family to the south and east of the country in a place called Moab, which historically was this place, uh, which, which, which was an in, uh, they were an enemy to the Israelites. So in this place, there was abundance of food and crops and a place that they can settle in and call their home. After this family moves down there and settle in, the father passes away. Elimelech passes away, leaving mom Naomi as a widow with her two sons. There's some time that passes, and the sons marry uh, two women from that country. Their names were Ruth and Orpah. So we got Naomi and her two sons and their daughters-in-law. 
Life was good, so it seemed, and then Naomi's two sons pass away. Crazy story, right? Well, Naomi, along with her two daughters-in-law, had experienced loss and death like none other. They were lonely, but they were together. Naomi heard from God that he had restored the famine back in the land of Israel, and uh, there was now food and a place for her to belong, and due to all the pain that she had experienced, she wanted to go back to her homeland. So she encourages her daughters-in-law and says, you know what, you stay here with your moms. I'm going to head back to what I call home. She was persistent in asking these, these daughters-in-law to, to stay back. She's like, you know, I got this. I can do this on my own. But what we know from the story is that Ruth uh, was pretty persistent. She, uh, she said, no, I'm, I'm not going to stay back here. I want to go with you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. So there's something amazing here about the relationship of a daughter-in-law and a mom who had lost her husband, and this daughter named Ruth had also lost her husband. So they both returned to Bethlehem, which was in Israel, like I said, and life was pretty hard for them. Usually, widows were taken care of by other in, others in the community or by their husbands, so it, it would have been hard for them to, to find work and to find food. It's sometimes hard for us to imagine culturally nowadays what this would have been like, but Ruth and Naomi would have struggled to make ends meet. Also, Ruth, being a foreigner, she probably would have felt out of place. So to quickly summarize this story for you, many of you know the story, but I want to encourage you to read this incredible story in the book of Ruth. It is only four chapters long. Ruth goes to this field once they get back in Israel, in Bethlehem. She goes to this field of a farmer named Boaz, and she starts following around all the harvesters, and what the Bible says, she was gleaning harvest from these harvesters. That just means she was picking up the scraps of everything that they had dropped. So Ruth worked diligently from morning to night. She barely took a break. Boaz recognizes this in her, sees her hard work, sees her character, sees her diligence, and takes a step to care for her uh, in, in, in this process. So Boaz tells his, his workers in the field to start leaving extra grain so that she can glean more. And she comes home with this huge pile of extra grain and shows it to Naomi and then tells this story about how she had met this man named Boaz. And Naomi was overjoyed because Boaz was not just any farmer. This was Naomi's relative and what was called a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. If you go back to Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, it lays out what a family redeemer was. This person had a specific role that if anything were to happen to one of the husbands in the family, this person would step in and care for uh, these widows and help redeem the land and take care of them as a widow to restore their broken family. But you see, Naomi's situation uh, needed redemption. It was pretty broken when you think about it. And let's just say Ruth was pretty persistent and she was pretty patient in this process of, of pursuing this farmer named Boaz. But Boaz saw her character and her hard work, and you can say the rest is history. I'd encourage you to go read it. Many of you know the story, Ruth and Boaz. They were married, and they have a son named Obed. Great story, right? 
Well, what's interesting about this story is the family dynamic, like I said. Ruth and Naomi were not blood-related. But in this, you see genuine care for each other. The willingness to, to be loyal and committed to bear each other's burdens in the midst of pain and loss. Through the hardships and pain and the loneliness, they were committed to each other. So, I mean, when you look at this picture of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, you see a broken and messed up family situation. But see, the story is really about ordinary people and ordinary circumstance. It's, it's really strategically placed in God's word for us to, to really get a glimpse of, of who God is and how he sovereignly weaves things together for his plan and his purposes. But wait, there's more. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, this guy Boaz shows up again. All right? Boaz is the son of, of, a, of a woman named Rahab. And if you spend any time reading in the Old Testament, if you read in Joshua, Rahab was a prostitute. But she was not identified by her past because Jesus redeemed her uh, because she was helpful in saving God's people uh, from the death and the destruction in Jericho. But you think about a, a messed up situation. You've got Boaz and Rahab. You've got Ruth, Naomi. You've got the, the loss. You've got the, the family dynamic there. I mean, you talk about baggage. But what's interesting is Boaz listed here at the end of Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Boaz was the son of Rahab. Boaz and Ruth were married and had a son named Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. If you remember from the Old Testament, one of those eight sons was a little shepherd boy named David who worked the fields. That on the outside, it didn't look like he would amount to anything, but God looked at his heart and knew that he would be the king of Israel. Fast forward a little bit, you know that Jesus was born from the house and lineage of David. See, our God is truly amazing. When you think about the, the broken situation, the broken family, and how this dynamic worked together, that what's amazing about this story, as we think about Ruth and Boaz, is that Boaz is a picture of Jesus, our family redeemer. It's amazing to think about whatever mess that you've gone through in your life, whatever you've inherited or brought in today with you to NCC, that Jesus wants to make new and redeem your broken situation. He pays your debt. He marries us into the family of God and He restores our brokenness. So it doesn't matter how messed up or how imperfect you think your family situation is, I want you to hear this morning that it can be made new in Jesus. And that's what this series is all about. Well, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.17. And I think that's the heartbeat of really what this passage is about. That when we've been made new in Christ, there are certain postures of our life that should be evident in who we are. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 So this morning, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been made new. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter how broken your family is. You've been made new. This morning, we're also going to dig into Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. You can also look here at the screens as well. Romans chapter 8 
is probably one of the greatest passages of Scripture throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament even. We're not going to exposit the whole text this morning, uh, but rather I, I want us to see some things in the text and what it means for us to have confidence and assurance that we are a part of God's family, that we can know that we are children of God. So Romans chapter 8, kind of in this vein and in this thought of being made new in Jesus, what it says in verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can just stop right there. A lot of us beat ourselves up daily about our past, about our brokenness, about our family dynamic, about whatever it is. Maybe you're here this morning and that's the truth that you need to hear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Have confidence in that, church. Have, have, have confidence in that, that you've been made new. We need to remember that every day. Verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit has life, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. Jump down to verse 5. It says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, for, for, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Jump down to verse 10. It says, But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You've been given life, right? We've been made new. We've been made alive. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit which dwells in you. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. All right, so we're reading this passage up to this point. You're like, Dave, what does this have to do with families? All right, this passage is really about the assurance that you've been a child of God and that, that, that you have the Spirit of God living in you. You no longer have to, uh, to choose to live, uh, you know, to cave in to the desires of your flesh, that you can trust and follow after what Jesus has for you. He says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back in fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children of God, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, this morning, as we look at Romans chapter 8, I feel like there's a lot of truth that we can uncover from what the Apostle Paul is laying out to this church in Romans. But see, I believe there are things in here that we also need to see as a church. I think daily we need reminded of who God is and what He's done and who we are in light of being part of His family. So this morning I want us to see three truths as we're made new in God's family. The first thing is that we are loved, okay? This morning you're here, I want you to know that. You are deeply loved by God the Father. Whether or not you experience that love in your life growing up or not, I want you to know you are deeply loved by God the Father. There's a truth about God that we know. We read it in 1 John uh, when we were in the 1 John series this summer in chapter 3. And it goes like this, see how much 
love the Father has on us, for he calls us his children, and that we are. You see, I learned it like this, and it's, it, it, I remember it even as a song. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the children of God, or the sons of God. See, we are his children. We are his kids. We are, we are his family, and he is our father. And there's something special about the relationship of a father and their kids. There's nothing like it. And you see, I didn't fully understand it until I had kiddos myself. There's a special bond that I have with each one of my kids. And as I look out here, I don't want to embarrass uh, my daughter, but she's sitting out here in the back. And I have a unique relationship with every one of my kiddos. Um, they, they challenge me sometimes, and they ask me, they're like, Dad, who's the favorite? And uh, I say all of you guys are the favorite. I love you all so much, and in, sometimes in different ways. You see, there's something interesting about a dad's love for their kids. There's been many times that I've been frustrated with my kids, upset, overwhelmed, exhausted, disappointed. I've lost my voice. I've lost my mind. I've lost my cool. Those are things that I'm not proud of. But I've never lost my love for my kids. There's something amazing about that. An unconditional love a father has for their children. You see, God's love for us works that same way. He has an unconditional love for us. No matter what we've done, no matter what we, uh, what we try to, to do and bring to Him, he's never, He never loses His love for us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should have eternal life. Right? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. So I get it. The idea of father creates a tension in us. Some of you here this morning, like I said, you, you may not have had a great relationship with your dad. You may not have known your father. But I think those broken relationships with our fathers point us to a heavenly father who is perfect, who loves us unconditionally, who knows us by name. You see, author and theologian J.I. Packer says it like this, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child. And having God as his father, if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and his prayers and his whole outlook on life, then it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Ask yourself, do you see God as Father? Can you cry out to him as Father, as Abba Father, as Daddy? That's what that word Abba means, Daddy. It's like when I walk home through the door, and my little 18-month or 19-month-old now, Nolan, comes running. He's just as loud as can be, Dad, Dad, Dad. Dad, arms wide open. He just wants to see his dad. He's got complete dependence and trust on me picking him up and holding him, and there's just this warm welcome. See, our loving Father has that same interaction with us. He wants us to have that dependence and that reciprocated love that we cry out to him, 
Dad, Dad, I need you. I need you. I want you. I want to spend time with you. That's what he wants from us. The truth is that we are deeply loved, and that's something we need to remind our hearts of consistently. God overwhelms us with his love as a father, and like I said, we can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We don't have to do anything to live up to some standard uh, to, to be approved by him. And the beauty of the gospel is that he doesn't love us because of who we are. He loves us because of who he is. Let that sink in. Because we are loved, we are fully accepted by him. I don't have to prove myself. There are no expectations of being somebody that I'm not in God's presence. Right? We recognize that God's love for us, we in turn reciprocate that back to him, and then it spills over to others in the overflow of our life. And church family, because you are loved and accepted, you can be honest with God. He can take it. He knows what's going on in your life. He sees you. He knows you. He understands. You can cry out to him and say, God, I'm having a hard time with this. You can be honest with him. You see, in God's family, we strive for honesty and vulnerability. And I think that's one thing that's special about NCC here, is we're not putting on a show. Like, we're just trying to be who we are and point you to Jesus. The reality is there is not a single family in this room that couldn't say, Dave, if you knew this about my family. You see, I know that. And I'm okay with that. Because that's what makes the church, the family of God, beautiful. So number one, we are loved. The second truth I want us to see this morning is that as a member of God's family, I belong. I belong. You see, I believe we're all looking for acceptance and a place to belong in life. Because God created us all for relationships. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what, Dave, nobody cares about me. First off, that's not true. People care about you. People love you. You say, you know what, Dave, I've been hurt by the church. You've not been hurt by the church. You've been hurt by people in the church. Okay? We belong to a family. That family is the children of God. The church is not a place you attend, but a a people that you belong to. There are people that are in here that are in the same shoes as you are. Maybe you're going through something today where you're feeling lonely. Maybe your story is similar to Jim's, that you haven't had family for 30 years, and you, you come to this place to find family, to be a part of something. I want to encourage you that people need you as much as you need them. Okay? You don't have to figure this out by yourself, that God has given us each other to belong to something bigger than ourselves. When we read through texts like Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8, we understand that we have this position uh, that we've been adopted into God's family and we have an honored position. We no longer have to wander around as orphans that we've been adopted into God's family. So this idea of adoption, again, I'm not going to get too far into it, but with Paul writing to the Romans here, they would have understood what this meant. It was more than a legal transaction. Adoption was this legal action by which a person would take um, a, a child into their family as their own for the purpose of treating them and giving them all of the privileges of, of their own natural child. But by also becoming a member of this new family, they would gain the rights of the father's estate and the inheritance, and they would be equal to the natural-born children as well. 
Also in this Roman adoption, when a son or daughter was adopted, their old life was completely wiped out. All their debts were canceled. Their past was, had nothing to do with them any longer. They now had a new relationship and a new family. I think that's a beautiful picture of, of how God adopts us into his family. Well, This morning, as we've read through Romans chapter 8, you may have asked yourself the question, like, how do, how do I belong? How do I know if I belong? Well, that text says his spirit bears witness with our spirit and gives us confidence that we are his children. So this morning, if, if you don't have something stirring within you, the spirit of God stirring within you, giving you that confidence that you're a child of God, then I want to talk to you afterwards. I want to help you know how you can trust this Savior who adopts you as part of his family. You see, here at NCC, we, we say all, all the time that this is a place where you can belong. You know that you've been adopted, but you're looking, just, you're looking, for, right? you're, you're looking for your crew. You're looking for your family. You're looking for your people. And I would say that there's uh, some practical ways that you can connect to that here at NCC. Every Sunday morning, right now during this hour and also at 1030, is something that we call, there's something called study groups in classrooms one, two, and four. Um, and also in the second hour, they're in different rooms, okay? So a place where you can get in, in smaller community with people, dig into God's word, and, and find deeper connection. We also have men's groups, women's groups, different events to connect you with other people uh, to help you engage and grow in this community. You heard Jim talk about how his community group is his family. Uh, when I was talking to Lori a, a couple weeks ago in, in her office, she's the director of group life here, I was amazed to see on her board that she's got mapped out like 16 or 17 community groups here at NCC. So there's opportunities for you to get connected to other people and do life with other people here. You heard Alex talk about Rooted, which is launching September 19th. A great opportunity for you to, to, to circle up with people maybe that you don't know that really just sets the foundation of growth uh, for you with other people in God's word together in the body of Christ. So we are loved, we belong, and, and lastly, I want us to see that we have a purpose. You see, I believe God's given each one of us experience in your own life, in your family, that has shaped who you are as a person. And that gives you, in per that, that helps inform the purpose that you have here, right? Your personality, your skill set, your intellect, the things that you bring to the table help inform the part of the body that you are. You see, if you read through Romans, I mean, Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about how the body, um, the body of Christ is a body, and we all are members of that body. You know, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, but we all have a specific role and function. We all have a part to play. That's part of God's plan for us. You may not see your purpose, but you have a purpose. The feelings that you have don't define you. Uh, the truth about God defines who you are. So go back to God's word and, and see, what his, see what his word says about who you are in Jesus. You see, in Romans 8, it says that we are heirs of God. It says we are joint heirs with Jesus. That means our, our heavenly father has put us on the same level with the inheritance of Jesus, that we are, we are, are co-heirs with Jesus, that we have an inheritance, um, this eternal life that we can, by his grace, share with the wealth of our Father. 
Also, this inheritance, uh, eternal life, redemption, and forgiveness that we have because of Jesus is something pretty amazing, right? When you think about an inheritance, there's not anything you have to do to, uh, to earn it. You just have to receive it. But if, imagine if dad were to give you $100,000 and say, you know, this is your inheritance. You know, I'm going to leave you with, with this, you know, as I pass and whatever. And you decide to say, you know what, I, I don't want to take it. You know, that, that's your money, dad. That's not my money. He's like, no, this is, this is your inheritance. It belongs to you. As a part of my family, you get this. I mean, it'd be, that'd be stupid. You know, it'd be like spitting in dad's face. There's this reality that our purpose of being an heir uh, to the throne of God, that we receive what Jesus has given us by faith in him. You see, Jesus redeems the mess of our families and gives us a place and a purpose in his family. Because we've been made new by him, we can look at family through a new lens, through the eyes of Jesus. And you can start to ask yourself the question, God, what's my purpose in my family? This morning, I want you to ask yourselves those questions too. Who's bringing redemption to your family? What simple acts of obedience are going to help others in your family see Jesus in you? What is it that you need to share in your life to help others know that they're not alone, that they belong, that God has a plan and a purpose for their life? So this morning, I want you to ask yourself and consider those questions today. These truths about being a child of God, that we are loved, that we belong, and that we have a purpose, are truths that we need to remind our hearts of all the time. And this morning, if you're sitting here saying, you know what, Dave, I just, I assume that I'm a part of God's family, but I don't feel like it. See, we can have confidence to know that we are a part of God's family and his children. We don't have to assume. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. So for us in here today, to be a part of God's family, you're just not automatically a part of God's family. You're not automatically a child of God. You've got to have faith in Jesus and the work that he's done on the cross for you. To repent of your sin, to turn from your old ways, to realize that you've been adopted into his family and you, you put away your old life. You recognize that you have new life in Jesus. You start to recognize that you've been loved. You recognize that you belong. You recognize that you have a purpose. And it compels you to live differently. So if that's you this morning, after I pray and after we sing and after we close, I'd love to chat with you down here. You're saying, you know what, Dave, I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. I don't feel like I'm a part of God's family, and I want to know, and I want to have confidence. You can trust Jesus today. There's a song that I heard quite a bit growing up in church, um, in the Baptist church, so I want you to indulge me just for a minute. Uh, but I believe it summarizes the idea of, of being made new in God's family. There's probably many of you in here that know this song. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but I'm going to read the lyrics. You're somewhere like, come on, Dave, sing it. No, I'm not singing it, sorry. I believe it echoes the truth of what we need to hear as God's family this morning. Written by a guy named Bill Gaither in 1970. It says, From the door of an orphanage to the house of the king, I'm no longer an outcast. There's a new song I sing. From rags to riches, from weak to strong, I'm not worthy to be here, but praise God I belong. 
You probably know the chorus. It goes something like this. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm part of the family, the family of God. Church family, this morning, let that give us confidence that even when we don't feel like we belong to God's family, that in Jesus, all things are made new, that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves. Let me pray and close our time together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, because I, I believe that it's in that that we recognize who we are and what our role is as a part of life. That God, you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us here to recognize that we are part of something bigger than ourselves. That we all bring in a mess and a brokenness to this thing we call church. But God, you're okay with that because you take away that mess and you redeem it and you restore us and you are continuing to work in and through us to make us new, to conform us into your image. Father, help us today as the church to recognize that we are family, to live compelled on your mission, to come together in our differences, to recognize we're brothers and sisters, to love like brothers and sisters. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for the work that you've done for us and that which, what you're going to continue to do in and through us in this world. Father, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.